0: Yeah, as Dave said, my name is Georgia, and super glad to be here with you this morning. Thanks for the waving
1: it. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, bear with me, this is my first time doing anything like this. So yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, last week we began part one. Um, and for those of you who are just joining us, we're gonna catch you up. Um, but first, I wanna take a minute to talk about how we're approaching the Bible. So. People often come to the Bible looking for doctrine or looking for methods or rules. Um, but at its heart, it's a story full of characters, full of dialogue, full of um, tension and resolution. Um, and it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so this is really important to recognize. And I just invite you to think about how humans are made and built for a story. Think about a story that... Um, is either from a TV show or a movie that has really impacted you, has really changed the way you think about something or um, go about your life. Um, The Bible is one of humanity's greatest stories. And so for the first five weeks of every year, our church, as Dave said, um, has gone through the story of God, um, the entire Bible narrative. And so this is week two. Um, so thanks for joining us. Again, all the stories we'll hear today come from the Bible. Uh, we have some people in the room who believe that the whole Bible is true, and hopefully we have some people in the room who don't believe any of it is true or maybe believe some of it but have questions about other parts of it. Um, so that's a really good thing. Our different backgrounds will hopefully add a lot to our discussion and to our hearing. Um, and, yeah, we are all just coming from different places, but Um, hopefully our purpose is the same. To discover, to learn, um, and to even grow in relationship with each other. Um, And yeah, great stories do challenge us and inspire us. And when they're experienced together, um, hopefully we're drawn into community. Um, So feel the freedom today to challenge the story, to um, wrestle, to ask questions, to push back. Um, This is a space where Yeah, doubting and wrestling is really welcome. Um, So I'm also not gonna try to change your mind. That's not what this space is for. So rest assured that won't be happening. Um, And then yeah, let's try to hear from some new folks. So if you think back to last week and you're like, oh yeah, I kind of spoke a lot, try to let some other folks share. Um, And also like a little bit of silence after the question is okay too, don't feel the urge to jump right in. Um, in terms of rules, Dave mentioned that there's really only one rule, uh, mentioned last week that there's really only one rule, and that is to not mention or allude to anything that hasn't happened yet. Um, so you can mention things that have happened last week. You can mention things that, as we go throughout um, this morning, things that happen in those stories. But yeah, try not to say anything for the future which really keeps the playing field even for everybody and helps us just experience the story as it uh, unfolds. Um, And then yeah, we'll be talking for over an hour, so that's a long time to sit. Feel free to get up, move around, you can stand in the back, on the side, you can grab coffee, you can go to the bathroom, do what you need to do to be able to stay present. Okay, so let's recap a little bit. And um, last week we started with a scene called Beginnings. We heard about God, the one being who was before all other beings. And the Bible says that God alone always does what is good, what is right, and what is perfect. God created the first the angels and then the world. He created the angels to worship him and he created the world so that he would be worshiped. The story described God as holy. Then we moved on to a scene called First Humans. Um, youth, super glad that you're with us. I might call you out a little bit this week, as Dave did last week. Um, do you guys remember God's purpose for making humans? Why did he create humans? Did he have things that he hoped they would do? Well, I
2: know they were, like, coming to the garden. Mm-hmm.
0: That's yeah, that's definitely part of it. I don't know if this is right so that he could love them? So that he could love them? Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Jillian?
0: So that we can worship and praise them? hmm Yeah. Yeah, all of those things are really true and really good. Um, so, yeah, he, um, yeah, created them um, perfectly to do all of these good things and for him to be in relationship with him, as Tabby said. Um. Yeah, but unfortunately, um, something happened, and so yeah. Let's hear from anybody. Um, Where did we leave Adam and Eve um, at the end of the story? (laughs) What? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The fall of crayons. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Yeah. What? What ended up happening, and then what? Where did they go? They were kicked out. Yeah. Anybody
3: else? Yeah. they like to a cardinal direction? remember east west.
0: I also don't know that was not in the story in the specifically right. the city, but like, our step pastor step knows that yeah. great thanks Dave <laughs> cool so yeah Maggie, <laughs> oh. good job uh, that's great so yeah not only did they fail to like worship and obey God they failed to be good stewards of the garden um, and even good stewards of of their own selves so um yeah, this week, we I just wanted to let you know, we're going to have a couple of times of turning to your neighbor to chat a little bit. Um, so before we begin with week two stories, um, I invite you to turn to someone beside you and each take about one minute to share, if you were here last week, you can share um, what thoughts and emotions you had coming off of that. And if you weren't here last week, you can share what thoughts and emotions you have coming into today. So turn to somebody beside you and share for one or two minutes. Um, So today we're covering four stories. So it's going to be a little long. We can do it. Uh, But we're starting with Act 2, which Act 2 is the fall. Um, So Act 2, Scene 2. After leaving the garden, Adam and Eve had two sons. The firstborn was named Cain, and the second was named Abel. When the sons grew up, Cain became a farmer, and Abel became a shepherd. At harvest time, people would bring portions of their work, called offerings, and give them to God as gifts. Cain brought some of his farm produce. In faith, Abel brought the very best lambs from his flock, and they both made offerings to God. When God saw their gifts, he accepted Abel and his offering, but rejected Cain and his offering. This made Cain very angry and upset. Why are you so angry, God asked Cain. Why do you look so discouraged? Won't you be accepted if you do what's right? But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must bring it under control. Soon after that, Cain suggested to his brother Abel, why don't we go out into the field? While they were walking in the field, Cain attacked and killed his brother Abel. This was the first murder described in the Bible. Later on, God asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, Cain replied. Am I supposed to keep track of him wherever he goes? But God said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I am removing you from this land you've corrupted with your brother's blood. I will no longer produce abundant crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be homeless, a fugitive who wanders from place to place. Cain replied to God, this punishment is more than I can handle. You have removed me from my home and from your presence. You have made me a fugitive. All who see me will try to kill me. God replied, no, they will not kill you. Anyone who tries to harm you, will receive seven times your punishment. Then God put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to attack him. Cain left God's presence and traveled to a land east of the garden where he would start a family of his own. Now it's time for some dialogue. Um, Yeah, anybody can answer right now. What was the difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifice? either exactly what the story said or your own
2: interpretation can be a portion of his produce and able the best portion of his produce. Mm. yeah
4: wasn't like the word gave it in faith, and
0: mm-hmm. in faith? Yep. gave the best portion and gave in faith After God rejected Cain and his offering, he said, why are you so angry? Why do you look so discouraged? Won't you be accepted if you do what's right? But if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must bring it under control. What do you think that meant?
5: your
0: attitude mm-hmm. yeah so maybe loving but firm yeah
6: yeah, yeah it's a it's a really kind point mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and something that's standing out to me is the idea of sin is almost like personified in this mm-hmm. like sin's at your door it's waiting to attack and destroy you there's like a it, it seems kind of serpent like in a lot of ways it um, kind of reminds me of some of the earlier parts of the story of yeah. um, Adam and, Eve and how things went when arrived for them and now being having an opportunity to make it right and kind of getting more that, man, you know, the same thing happened to your parents it
3: could happen to you here. Like, what are you going to do with that?
0: Yeah, cool.
2: Get to like, anymore. Oh. <laughs> um,
0: youth, I have a question for you. Before he murdered his brother, do you think Cain had sinned yet? Probably. Yeah? Yeah. Why?
1: Mm-hmm. because that's like really that's a really a really big sin and it's a
0: big leap yeah. like it's, hey that's, that's kind of my first sin is going to be yeah. murder
4: yeah
0: <laughs> I agree it's insightful yeah Jillian
2: Not
0: said, so he would have had to. You're right, you're right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I also think he lied, like mm. before
2: he killed his brother or something. Or maybe it was after, but he was like, I don't know where my brother is. Mm. Like, how am I supposed to know? Like I'm supposed to be watching him with his every move? Yeah.
1: Mm. I think that was the first thing because the jealousy is what led to him murdering his brother.
0: Yeah. yeah. So do we think that Cain sinned in the offering that he brought? Yeah,
2: that's kind that's of bad thing. Maybe like, because he wasn't bringing
0: the best of offering, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if that's considered a sin. But, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody else have a thought? Another question related. Um, Was God angry either with the offering that came brought or with the murder? Jillian? Uh, Yeah,
2: he probably was definitely angry about the murder. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Why do we think Cain killed his brother? Let's let some other people speak, Jillian. I appreciate your participation. Yeah? I
1: think it was because if Cain if Abel was gone, then he didn't have anyone to compete with, and then he would be the best.
0: Hmm. That's
1: nice.
0: I like that. Um, What was God's reaction to the murder?
7: He asked a question.
0: He did. Yeah.
5: Which is the same reaction he had in the garden in the story last week when they sinned. It is. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. So, yeah, curiosity. Even though he's all knowing, yeah.
6: It's really interesting, kind of almost like the hyperlinks that are emerging between this story and the previous story, and mm-hmm. some of the patterns that are there. Where God also uh, removes Cain from the land, mm-hmm. so the parents were kind of removed from the land, and then yeah. God even worse for Cain. So you're like yeah. two runs removed from wherever. dwelling place consequence mm-hmm. to what's, what's happening. So, displacement,
0: so. yeah. Yeah, displacement, right? Yeah. Um, why couldn't God just ignore what Cain had done? What punishment did Cain deserve? And what does it mean that Abel's blood cries out? You can answer any of this. Or maybe they're all connected. So he was maintaining his character mm-hmm. by still doing what was good, right, and perfect yeah. and Even upholding to didn't. that. Story. Yeah. Felt, felt weird and
8: uncomfortable to us, like he shouldn't with his character. Mm-hmm.
2: So
0: maybe maintaining some consistency.
7: Yeah. Family, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: no. So yeah, it had to do with not just God's relationship with Cain, but Cain's relationship with other people, which at that time was only Adam yeah. yeah. Well, and it would have been pretty undignifying
9: to Abel to say like, "Yeah, it's fine for you to get murdered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no big deal." Yeah. Kind of like honors Abel by saying like, "Oh, no big
10: no,
0: matters." Mm-hmm. Yeah.
10: Yeah. I think it's interesting, though. It's not like in both cases with Adam and Eve, it's not handled in the way that I feel like we feel like justice should be served, right? Like there's, there's this like consequence and compassion Mm -hmm. that come together. Mm -hmm. Both in like God's care for Adam and Eve and clothing them. Yes, there's a consequence that you get removed from the garden. and Sin comes into the world, but like He didn't just you know kill them, which is maybe what they deserved. Right. Same with. doesn't kill him, but there's a consequence. He casts him out, and mm-hmm. they have to, you know, do all that. But he, like, protects him from mm-hmm. further consequences to his life by marking him. So there's, mm-hmm. like, this, uh, we're not good at that. <laughs> so yeah, <it's> like, holding <laughs> tension. Yeah, <and> we're <laughs> yeah. not good at yeah. the, like, consequence and compassion.
0: Yeah, I like that. Consequence and compassion. So. Yeah, that's great.
8: Yeah, I wonder if Hmm. I think in some sense that would have been easier. And yeah. I think God's loving, but also it's like you have to live with this. Yeah. Don't and, like, and I think that's why he says, like, the punishment is too much than I can bear. But it's like that's it's interesting. It's, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, yeah, there's like a redemptive thread in, in God saying, like, I'm still going to protect you. But there's also this, um you can't just, like, end the pain of what you got.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe he wanted to escape the pain or escape the consequence. Yeah. Um, what do we learn about God in this story? And what do we learn about humans in this story? Wow. Oh. Yeah. Maybe all of us are a little bit of it. Yeah, John.
2: So he's actively doing what mm-hmm.
7: and just that tension dialogue where still Yeah, and we
0: saw that before, right? Like, Eve blamed Adam, Adam blamed this name, or Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed this name. Yeah. Yeah, this is our first glimpse at God's relationship with humanity after the fall, after Adam and Eve. Um, what is God seeking in his relationship with sinful people? And what's required from sinful people? Like, what gets in the way, though?
7: requires that people be teachable, you know, that they'd be willing to be corrected, Humility. encouraged, and challenged, um, yeah, you just, if Cain had been teachable in that moment, he would, you know, he would, the whole story would be different, you know. <clears throat> yeah? Um, I think he's seeking
9: for honesty. hmm
0: and humility, yeah. I also think
6: of the responsiveness to his compassion. Mm. I love how Cherry was highlighting kind of the compassionate consequence that are both present in this right. narrative, and like the way that he is approaching humans when they make this like amazing compassion, and so it seems like there's this invitation
2: for humans to respond to his his compassionate approach to that. Mm.
9: Mm. -hmm. I I never really thought of that in this story before. But what um what example for us as we follow after God that we react and respond to people, I guess, um,
1: Mm -hmm. in the way that he you know But yeah,
0: Yeah. question asking. Yeah. (laughs) Not defensively. Yeah. Yeah, That's good.
9: Barriers, Barriers or structures,
0: yeah. right? And so um, I think that that can be God's
5: relationship with humans is made more important. To
0: this. Yeah, that's great. Okay, we're going to move on. We still have a lot to work through. So this is Act 2, scene 3. The number of humans on the earth grew rapidly. Not only did rebellion spread from Adam and Eve to their sons... It spread from generation to generation. Even though humans were created in God's image, each person chose to disobey God's ways. Humans were completely out of control, acting out in selfishness and violence all the time. When God saw that the people's hearts and minds were filled with evil, day and night, his heart was broken. So God decided to start over saying, I will completely wipe out the human race I've created. I am sorry that I ever made them. But there was one man named Noah who found grace with God. Noah had a close relationship with God and was the only blameless man living on earth at that time. So God said to Noah, I have decided to cover the earth with a flood, destroying everything alive, but I will give you a plan to keep you safe. God told Noah to build a big boat called an ark, giving him specific instructions about how big to make it and what it should look like. God said to him, make an ark from wood and seal it with tar inside and out. Build many decks and stalls for animals to live inside of it. I promise to keep you safe in this ark. A pair of every kind of animal, male and female, will come to you to be kept alive. You will also bring seven pairs of animals that I have approved for you to eat and sacrifice. And remember, take enough food for you and your family and for all of the animals. So Noah did exactly as he was told. And just as God had said, the floods came. Water burst from the earth and rain poured from the sky. When the waters came, Noah and his family and all of the animals boarded the ark. As the waters rose, the boat floated safely on the surface. The flood covered even the tallest mountains all over the earth, and all living creatures on the earth were destroyed, except for those on the ark. After 40 days, the rain stopped. Many months passed as the water slowly began to dry up. For weeks, Noah sent a dove out to see if it could find dry land. And finally, the dove returned with an olive leaf in his mouth. Noah sent the dove out one more time, and when it didn't come back, he knew it was safe to return to the land. As soon as Noah came off the ark, he built an altar, selecting pure animals from every approved species and sacrificing them to God as a symbol of thankfulness and worship. God was pleased with Noah's sacrifice and said, I promise never again to destroy all living things with a flood, even though people's thoughts and actions are bent toward evil from the time they're children. As a symbol of my promise, I will hang a rainbow in the clouds. When I see the rainbow, I will remember the eternal covenant between me and every living creature on earth. Then God told Noah and his sons, I've put all animals under your control. You can use animals for food, but you must never eat animals that still have their life blood in them. Life is in the blood, and all life belongs to me, and those who murder must be punished by death. God blessed Noah and his sons, telling them to have many children and once again to fill the earth with people. It's time for some more dialogue. Um, question for the youth. Why did God flood the earth and destroy everything? Do you think he had good reasons for doing this?
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so he's going for a clean slate. Jillian, did you want to say something? I saw your hand. No? Okay. Anybody else?
2: Yeah. context uh it, God said that the earth was filled with violence right when, yeah. before he destroyed it with the plug he, he said that the earth was filled one of one of the key things in my memory yeah it was filled with violence yeah. I think along those lines isn't the phrase like everyone did what was wicked inside of God or like it, the implication is like everyone was as bad as they could be mm-hmm. that's what I
9: imagine.
0: It's like saturated with evil.
10: But then he used violence to fix it. Jared! <laughs> no, this, this is
0: the space for pushing back.
10: Yeah, I, I appreciate re- I it. I have a really hard time with this story. Me too. I think, you know, as I said before, like the compassion piece of, of God is easier to see in the first Where's two the stories. Compassion? And yes. then, like, the third story, you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and it's like a Sunday school story. We do the little right. park and the
4: it's
0: animals, very like kid and like friendly, apparently.
10: Yeah. Uh-huh. House, so, you know, so yeah. I, I just um I don't yeah, I don't know what to do with this story, personally. And I and I also think that um, especially given that like like I like that we're not looking ahead because think about the context that Noah was in and like how he's trying to piece together his do good, and, like, the, like, I'll love you kind of, that was, like, kind of the feeling I got mm-hmm. from that passage, and, like, you can see how religion becomes so, like, um, you know, conditional, love feels more mm-hmm. conditional, where, like, you have to do 100%. things, to do the right things to, like, avoid yeah. the wrath of God, and not yeah. be one of the bodies floating in the water, you know, mm-hmm. and, like, that's, I have a, I just have a hard time with that, because that's, like, demotivating.
8: by how sin seems to move in a very exponential way from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And so you see this like very quick like upping of the ante almost of, you know, you eat the fruit and then the next thing that happens with Cain and Abel is this murder which feels like, wow, we're moving really fast and I can see how if that is continuing of this kind of like rapid and I think we see this in the Bible and some stories that are really horrific and then also in history and so yeah. I don't know. I kind of see that there is some it's hard, but I feel like I can almost see that there is some grace in uh what God is doing and where like yeah, like I mean you don't want to live in a world I don't know, I just like things are coming to mind of like, you know, I don't know, what's going on right now was like, humans really get, like, kind of out of control, I think, and so I can see some grace in it, even amidst the, the hardness of God um, doing this.
9: Yeah, it makes me think about, like, is there ascension? And even, like, the mercy of, like,
7: animals? I don't know. I mean, it's a hard story. Yeah, really hard story. yeah I think about, you know, we learned in the Cain and Abel story that our violence affects the earth. That the earth cries mm-hmm.
2: out. Yeah. That
7: was a In the story um, is when Noah's given permission to kill someone for murder, right? And so it's like, well, was that not, was that, was there just sort of vigilante, just there wasn't any order, so maybe there was like no governance, no consequences, nothing, and so we're gonna wipe clean and then we're gonna, we're gonna actually give you, Noah.
0: So, maybe, yeah, God wanted the chance to maybe have some more structure in his relationship with humans. Maybe one more person for this question, then we'll move on to another question.
4: Maybe a kind of a reholding of compassion and mm-hmm. judgment. Um, yeah, and it, I think it's maybe easier for us to think from our human perspective of like, yeah, that, that seems pretty hard for me to be wiped um, off the face of the earth. But from God's perspective, like, as we created everything, created everything good, and so quickly we are like, unraveling that, and not only, I mean, the in, in, in some ways the proper reaction or the human reaction would just be complete anger, like yeah. it, it's, there's, there's even compassion that it took so long, and mm-hmm. God maybe, like even, maybe even like a
0: charge towards God, like why did you let it go for so long, Right.
4: Why would you allow it? Yeah. Um and, and so yeah, I'm just struck by God being green um and that leading him towards this decision. Yes, it's hard, but from God's perspective, I I in some ways I can see the reason.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, the story says that Noah was blameless. What does that mean? And how does it pertain to Noah and his family being spared?
3: I love how
6: the story says that Noah found grace in God's eyes, Um, and so like his sense of being blameless—like the question you just asked—like isn't tied to his actions or his behavior necessarily? show favor like, on those. Show favor. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting. Because yeah. it's like all humans seem like they're pretty corrupt at this point in the story. But there's this one person that like is blameless in God's eyes. And he's just like given this favor too. Yeah. But it's curious. Like why
4: why
0: Noah? Why? Has yeah. the, the whole world. Like I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. God told Noah, you can use animals for food. But you must never eat animals that still have their life blood in them. Life is in the blood. And all life belongs to me. Why was this important? I I'm don't understand the sentence. Wait, is that you don't eat animals alive? Or are you trying to drain blood for carbon? Great question. She said she didn't understand what that means. Anybody have any thoughts? (laughs) Dave, maybe? Well, we unfortunately have to move on. Um, I know we love talking about the flood, blood. I
7: don't know what your lunch was. Right. We're actually going
0: to continue talking about blood in more detail. I'm so sorry. Um, If you need to excuse yourself, that's fine. Uh, So this is Act 3, Scene 1. Um, Noah's descendants forgot about God and how he had spared them in the flood. They made plans to construct a great city out of brick. They said, let's build a monument to ourselves that reaches to the heavens to show how great we are. God saw how the people were gathering together to honor themselves instead of him. At that time, everyone on earth spoke the same language. So God gave people different languages to make it harder for them to join together in rebellion against him. Then he scattered them all over the earth. A few generations later, God established a relationship with and made a special promise to a man named Abram. This promise was called a covenant, representing the deepest of all agreements between two people. God told Abram, I will make you the father of a great nation, famous throughout history. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I will bless the entire earth through your descendants. This was an amazing promise that God was making. He was choosing to bless the entire world through one family. (laughs) God, there was just one problem. Abram's wife, Sarai, was unable to have children. So how would the earth be blessed through their descendants? And besides, they were getting old. Abram was about 75, and Sarai was about 65. God told Abram, leave your country and your relatives and go to the land that I will show you. God led Abram and his family to a land called Canaan. There God said, look as far as you can see in every direction. I am giving this land to you and your descendants. This land of Canaan will be called the promised land. Some time passed and Abram and Sarai still did not have a child. Abram asked God, what good are all of your blessings if I don't even have a son? I'm getting old, and soon I will have to give my inheritance to one of my servants. God replied to Abram, No, you will have a son who will inherit everything I have promised you. Then God took Abram out beneath this night sky and said, Look up into the heavens and count the stars. Your family will be like this, too many to count. And Abram believed what God had said. So God called him righteous because of his faith. But many more years passed, and Sarai became impatient and not not having a child. She ordered her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, to be a substitute mother for her. Abram agreed with this plan. So Hagar became pregnant and gave birth to a boy named Ishmael. But Hagar and Sarai's relationship became strange. During Hagar's pregnancy, she began to despise Sarai, And in return, Sarai treated her servant, Hagar, terribly. Eventually, Hagar and her son, Ishmael, were sent away and not allowed to live with Abram's family. When Abram was 99, God appeared to him again, saying, I am the mighty God. Serve me with your entire life and live purely. I will keep my covenant with you for many generations to come. And I am changing your name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Remember this. I will always be your God, and you will always be my people. Then God added, I am also changing your wife's name to Sarah, which means mother of many nations. Very soon, she will be blessed with a son. You are to name this son Isaac. But both Abraham and Sarah laughed to themselves in disbelief of God's promise. Abraham wondered, how can I become a father at 100 years old? How can Sarah have a baby when she is almost 90? Sarah thought, how could a worn-out woman like me have a baby? And my husband is even older than I am. Abraham asked God, would you pass on your blessing through my son Ishmael? But God said, why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for me? About a year from now, you will have a son. It is through your son Isaac that I will pass on my blessing, not through Hagar's child. And sure enough, a year later, exactly as God had said, Sarah gave birth to their first son, naming him Isaac, which means laughter. The birth of Isaac was the beginning of God fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham. God desired for Abraham's descendants, called the Hebrew people, to be a new kind of people who would show the world what it meant to live in relationship with God and walking in God's ways. Some years later, God tested Abraham He called out to him, Abraham. Yes, I'm listening, Abraham replied. God said, I want you to take your son, Isaac, whom you love, up to the top of the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. So the next morning, Abraham awoke, saddled up his donkey, chopped some wood for the offering. After everything was ready, Abraham and Isaac took two of their servants and set out for the mountain. Abraham told his servants, stay here when they got to the mountain. Isaac and I are going up to worship, and then we will come right back. Abram took the knife and the fire from the servants, and he placed the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac's shoulders. As they were walking up the mountain, Isaac became curious and asked, Father, we have the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Abraham told him, God himself will provide. When they arrived at the top of the mountain, they built an altar and placed wood on it. Then Abraham took the knife and lifted it to kill his son as a sacrifice to God. But at that moment, the angel of God shouted to Abraham from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, I'm listening your bud. The angel said, put down the knife. Do not hurt your son. It's clear you trust God because you did not hesitate to give him what you love the most. Then Abraham looked behind him and saw a ram with its horns caught in a bush. He caught the ram and offered it to God in place of his son. Abraham named that place at the top of the mountain God will provide. Then the angel of God spoke to Abraham again, telling him, God wants to tell you, because you have not refused to give me your son, I will bless you greatly. Your family will multiply into millions like the stars in the sky and the sand on the beaches. Your descendants will defeat their enemies. The entire earth will be blessed through your family, because you chose to obey me. Then Abraham and Isaac went down the mountain, met up with their servants, and returned home. It's time for another dialogue. What was Abraham's relationship with God like?
2: trusted in God even to sacrifice his own son because Mm -hmm. he knew God would provide for him and give him the things that he needed.
0: Yeah, so he mainly trusted him. He sometimes had a hard time trusting him. According to the story, a covenant is a promise representing the deepest of all agreements between two people. Where have we seen God make a promise or a covenant before, and why is this concept important? especially this time.
7: For a period. And so it removes that possibility for Abraham
2: at least. Yeah, it has like a permanence <clears> of <throat> attachment. Yeah.
0: Where in the story did we see Abraham struggle to believe the promise? Talk to her a little bit. God still asks why did you laugh, right? Yeah. Um why did God call Abram righteous? What do you think it means to be righteous? It was before that, it was even before they had a child, it was when he took him outside and said, look at the stars, and Abram believed what God said, so God called him righteous because of his
9: In this like age of misinformation, mm-hmm. that like the guy who just like heard a voice in the sky and was like, "Oh, totally, said, that is righteousness." Like, I want, I don't know, I want him to have to have done more than <laughs> done that.
0: Something. Yeah, that's fair. Um, um,
9: but but that's what it says. Like
5: trusting, like hearing and. I think it's also reassuring though because it kind of separates righteousness from like right behavior all the time and it even separates it from doubt because we see that Abraham still did doubt and he still questioned God and he didn't always obey God but he had this like core foundational trust in God that couldn't be shaken even by all those other circumstances and missteps
0: Yeah, so maybe a baseline of trust, even though there are some doubt in there.
7: What he wanted for Eve, and he, he was teachable in the wrong direction, right? Mm-hmm. But the wrong people, Cain was not teachable. Free right. um, flood people weren't teachable, but Noah and Abraham mm-hmm. both were willing to believe and follow. Yeah,
0: that's good. Um, what did God promise to Abraham, and what did He want Abraham's nation to be like? We have many descendants. Thomas.
5: so this is the first hint that it's not just for the nation of Israel because he said through you, through your family, yeah. all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Yeah. Don't forget the rule, dude. What? Don't forget the rule. Yeah. No,
4: he, that, was that was not the story. story. No, it's not the story. You're the one that said the narrow gate. What is
8: that? It's yeah. <laughs> 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 so just the figure
0: yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, we're gonna move on. I'm gonna give one paragraph here that is a lot of information that spans over a long time period. Um, so just know that. Years later, Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac had his own son named Jacob. His name was later changed to Israel, meaning struggler with God. The Hebrew people would then be called the people of Israel after Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and one of his sons, named Joseph, ended up living in Egypt. And Joseph's Joseph's story is an interesting one for another time. Joseph eventually invited his family to join him to escape a horrible famine that covered all the land. And while living in Egypt, the people of Israel grew into a large nation over the course of many years eventually numbering hundreds of thousands. After Joseph died, the king of Egypt, named Pharaoh, feared Israel because of their great numbers. He treated them horribly and made Israel his slaves, and their slavery lasted 400 years. But God promised he would bless his people. So, Act 3, Scene 2. God's people cried out for deliverance from slavery, and eventually... God heard their cries and remembered his people. God used a man named Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery. He sent Moses to warn Pharaoh that terrible things would happen to the Egyptians if they didn't release God's people. And Pharaoh was arrogant and didn't listen. So God sent a series of horrible plagues to punish the Egyptians. But these plagues didn't affect the Israelites. God turned water to blood. He filled the nation with frogs, mosquitoes, and flies. He killed livestock. He covered people and animals with boils. He destroyed the land with hail and locusts and brought great darkness. But in spite of these horrific events, Pharaoh would not let the Israelite people go. So God sent one more plague. He would send an angel of death that would take the life of every firstborn person and animal And God provided a way for the firstborn of Israel to be spared. He instructed the Israelites to take a firstborn male lamb without defect and sacrifice it to him without breaking any of its bones. Then they were to take the blood from the lamb and put it on the doorpost of their homes. If the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb on the house, he would pass over it and not demand the life of the firstborn. And so the people of Israel did what God told them to do. At midnight, God sent the death angel through Egypt, taking the life of all firstborn humans and animals, but passing over the homes that had blood on their doorposts. The Egyptians wept over this great tragedy and begged the Israelites to leave, releasing them from their slavery. So now Israel, a large nation of over 2 million people, set out to return to the land God had promised to Abraham. But Pharaoh wanted revenge. He sent his armies after Israel to catch them and kill them. When the Israelites approached the Red Sea, they thought they were trapped by the waters and would be caught by the Egyptians. But God split the waters so that the Israelites could cross the river on dry ground. When Pharaoh's armies tried to cross behind them, God brought a huge wind and blew the waters back over them. The Egyptian army was completely wiped out. Two months after leaving Egypt, the Israelites set up camp at the bottom of Mount Sinai. God descended onto the mountain in a fire, and a thick cloud of smoke covered the mountain. God called Moses into his presence on the top of the mountain. There God spoke to him, saying, Tell my people this, you saw how I carried you on eagles' wings and rescued you from Egypt. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured people, a kingdom of priests set apart to represent me to the rest of the world. When Moses came down the mountain, he told the people what God had said. They all agreed, we will do everything that God asked us to do, and we promise to follow all the commands. After that, God gave Moses instructions on how the people could return to following his ways and living in freedom, a life lived close to God and under his protection. God himself wrote these instructions on stone tablets called the Ten Commandments. This is what they said. I am your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Put me above everything else. Do not worship other things or people. Do not misuse or disrespect my name. Remember to set aside the seventh day each week to rest and worship me. Honor your parents. Don't murder or steal or lie. Do not sleep with anyone but your husband or wife. Be faithful. Do not lust after what others have. Be satisfied with what I give you. God gave Moses more instructions, called laws, to give to Israel. They gave specific details about how to treat neighbors and enemies, how to handle conflicts, what's fair punishment, when to work and rest, when to celebrate and worship, what offerings are acceptable to God. These laws helped Israel know exactly how they were called to be different from Egypt, the only home they had known, and the nation surrounding the promised land. But the people were people, and they did not want to live within God's boundaries and rebelled again, calling these instructions a new kind of slavery. They even said that they would rather go back to slavery in Egypt. Because God always does what is good, right, and perfect, he could not overlook their rebellion and sin. And the ultimate punishment for sin was death. A life must be given to pay for each person's disobedience. But God loved his people, so he provided a way for them to substitute the life of an innocent animal in place of their own. The Israelite people would bring pure animals to God, asking him to transfer their sins to the helpless animal. The animal was killed, and its blood was given in place of the guilty person. Eventually, God would ask his people to build something called a temple, a building where God's presence would dwell among his people, and he would receive their sacrifices. Sacrifices were given for known sins all the time, along with sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. However, there was one day of the year where a sacrifice was made for all sin, known and unknown. After performing a series of rituals, the priest would enter into the special part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, behind a curtain that symbolized the separation between God, who always does what is good, right, and perfect, and the sinful world. Here the priest would offer sacrifice for himself and the people. This system of sacrifice continued for hundreds of years. Sacrifices for sins had to be given day after day, year after year. And God accepted this, but only as a symbol of what was to come. He was preparing for a final sacrifice that would pay for the world's sins once and for all. Okay, we're going to have a couple minutes of dialogue, and then we're going to be done. Um, The Israelite people could avoid the death of their firstborn by sacrificing a firstborn male lamb without defect and putting its blood on the doorpost of their home. What other place in the story have we seen that the life and the blood of an innocent animal was given for the sake of covering another person's sin? Why are the sacrifices and the blood so important?
1: of blood and life, right? Right. So then by sacrificing him by the shedding of blood,
0: Um, How could the Israelite people keep their side of the covenant? Do you think God would remove his covenant if they did not obey him?
9: party is agreeing to do their side of it no matter what and e- including like even if the other party doesn't do their side. Which would mean that like God would still hold up his side even if Israel doesn't hold up their side. But also being a covenant they're saying that they'll do their side even if God doesn't
0: What do God's commandments and laws show us about who God is? And what do they show us about humans? Speak
1: of Mm patience.
0: The word.
7: Yeah. Humans need boundaries.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and reflect. What something, or two things, that you heard in today's stories that you want to mull over Ready, set, go. I invite you to stack, <laughs> With compassion. Um, thank you, everybody, for your presence. Even if you didn't say anything today, your presence here is really important to the room. Um, thanks for those who did say things. That was really helpful. Um, yeah, and I hope that you are walking away with things to mull over. Um, let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are who you say that you are. We thank you that you um, are changeless, that you are consistent, that you always do what is good, right, and perfect. Um, Yeah, and we are grateful that we can come to you with all of our questions, with all of our doubts, with um, our finiteness, our finickiness, um, our inability to keep your laws and commands perfectly. um, And you still allow us to be in your presence, and you still invite us to um, be with each other and with you. So we thank you so much for Uh, The ways that you have revealed yourself to us this morning, the things that you have showed us about your character, um, about your goodness, about your faithfulness, um, about your promise. Um, Yeah, so we ask that as this week goes on, that you would um, be stirring up things that we have questions about that you want to continue to show us, um, and that you would help us have conversations with friends and neighbors about those things. Um, thank you for the people in this room and that we get to be in community together. In Jesus' name, amen.